Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer. introductory, um, you know, welcome says, this show is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine uh, and the wonderful advertisers, writers, the readers, etc., who have been reading this magazine for the last 15 years. We started in St. Louis, we expanded into Kansas City and throughout uh, other parts of Missouri and Illinois. We added Chicago a little over a year ago and starting with our October issue, we will also be available in Arkansas as a print magazine. The same print magazine goes to all these cities, and in addition, we are read online and have been online since I think it was 1997 when we started publishing online, which was kind of ahead of a lot of the other magazines. Um, But because of that, we have had readers online for many, many years, and the online version is normally larger than our print edition. We make sure we cover all of the events in the Midwest since that the print version goes to the Midwest, but then um, we want to give our readers even more, and so we have a lot of book reviews and other uh, information that is always online. Uh, all you have to do is go to spiritseeker.com. You can click on the radio show icon in the upper left-hand corner, and the over 200 radio shows from the last few years are all archived there. You can um, listen to them from your iPod. You can you know, listen to them from your computer. There's just so many different um, different ways to access the amazing, wonderful interviews that um, are available to you via Blog Talk I, and, of course, Spirit Seeker that makes that possible. Okay, so um, I do want to just mention a few of the articles in this issue, and then I will bring, um, bring my guest on to the call. This is National Yoga Month, so we have three different articles uh, in this issue of Spirit Seeker talking about yoga is more than um, exercise. You know, there's a whole spiritual component to it, and yet, you know, as one of the articles shares, a woman had a hip surgery, and she was a, a, a she loved to ride horseback, uh, and when she had the hip replacement, of course, that was curtailed a little bit at first, and she went to yoga for pain relief, and then the next thing you know, through the movements of yoga, she not only could ride her horse, but she could ride her horse in a whole new way, pain-free, and then she got the, you know, the other benefits of yoga. So all of these are in this issue. There's also um, an uh, article about the mood, food connection, enjoying your food by Denise Lynn and her uh, daughter who have co-authored that. There's an article uh, by my guest, Dr. Uh, Elaine Aaron, who is the author of The Highly Sensitive Person. And the article addresses how to thrive when the world overwhelms you. And Dr. Aaron um, has you know, earned her MA from York University in Toronto in clinical psychology and her PhD at Pacifica Graduate Institute in clinical depth psychology, as well as interning at the... Um, C.G. Young Institute in San Francisco, besides beginning the study of the innate temperament trait of high sensitivity in 1991, she, along with her husband, Dr. Arthur Aaron, um, have become two of the leading scientists studying the psychology of love and close relationships. They are also pioneers in studying both sensitivity and love using functional magnetic resonance imaging. She maintains a small psychotherapy practice in Mill Valley in San Francisco, and as I said earlier, she is the author of The Highly Sensitive Person, and um, there is also a workbook. So, Dr. Aaron, are you there? 
Oh, I am right here. You can <laughs> okay. call me Elaine. <laughs> okay, perfect, perfect. Okay. Well, Elaine, you've been you've been on the, uh obviously in the world of understanding the mind and understanding the heart and understanding um the sensitivities that so many um have never really known how to explain. And you know, we've all, always heard that person's high strong or that person, you know, you know, you have to tiptoe around them, but this is a, this is bigger what we're talking about here. So, would you be kind enough to explain to our listeners just how you got on this track and and where you have seen things evolve and change as people become more aware? Well, I got on this track because quite a while ago, back there in about 1990, um uh, a counselor said to me, you know, she was trying to help me with uh, my quite of overreaction to a medical procedure. And she said, you know, I think you're just highly sensitive. And I said, what is that? And she said, well, I don't know, but all the people I really like are highly sensitive, including myself. I had no idea what she was talking about. Uh, and actually, she couldn't even remember saying it, and she didn't know exactly what she meant herself. But I began to research it, and I found that there really wasn't any, you know, we used the word, but nobody had ever really tried to define it, certainly not in clinical psychology. So I decided to interview people who thought that they might be highly sensitive. I just used that term, okay? Do you think you're highly sensitive? I'd like to learn more about what you're like. And I talked to 40 people about that for several hours each, and then I devised a questionnaire of about 60 items, and we boiled that down to about 27 items. And those those questions seem to distinguish sensitive from non-sensitive people. We've used that questionnaire now in genetic studies and brain studies, and it 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 sorts out people pretty nicely. Well, so, and this is available, listeners, on. Um, Elaine's website, which is ace, uh, I'm sorry, hsperson.com. There is a um, a wonderful self-test, and then there's another to see if your child is highly sensitive. There's another checklist, and you know, you know, I started off in nursing back in the 70s, oh, yeah. and and you know, I was fine in the classroom. You know, mm-hmm. understanding and you know the theory right. and all that, and then when we uh, went into clinicals, it was within the first two weeks. My nursing instructor, you know, on the clinical side, pulled me into her office and she said, "I really think you might re- want to reconsider <laughs> your career." And I said, "What do you mean?" You know, I was just like totally, you know, established. Yeah. And she said, "You're too emotionally involved with your patients." And she said, mm-hmm. "I think you might want to consider being a radiology technician." And I, I looked at her and I said, "What do I?" Need Need to do she said what do you mean and i said i want to be a nurse i want to help people and she said well then you're going to have to really change the way you do this but you know how did well, i know you know I sure how did you do things right yes and and uh i could have support groups all over the country of uh nurses who are highly sensitive teachers who are highly sensitive lawyers who are highly sensitive doctors many of them have left their fields because it became too difficult for them because all those fields have changed. They were the natural fields for sensitive people at one time. But it's it's not the technology that drives sensitive people out. It's the the harshness that sort of come into those fields and the money oriented and the time pressure and um it's it's you know the it's it's more highly stimulating. Sensitive people are about 15 to 20% of the population. And this is an innate trait. It's not something, I mean, 
obviously you could become more sensitive if you were isolated for five years and then brought back into the world. You know, you'd be bothered by sound at first and, and visual stimuli. But this is really an innate trait, and you see it in children. We all notice that children have different temperaments, but this is a minority of children, and of course it's a minority of adults. And and it's actually found in animals. Uh, over 100 species so far have been found to have this about the same percentage of individuals that are more sensitive. And and there's evolutionary reasons for why that would be the case and why it would be a minority. So we're real, and of course the you know the whole theme of the spirit. I I don't talk a lot about that with sensitive people because everybody has their own path. But the, one of the first things I discovered in interviewing sensitive people was at, at the I had a list of questions, and at the end I would ask people about their spiritual lives. It always came up before the end of the interview. People always brought it up. Um, this is a very important area for sensitive people. And empathy, we found mirror neurons in sensitive people are more active than in non-sensitive people. So your empathy for your patients, that's just the way that you approach life and the way you approach people. Well, and, you know, I, I've been in energy medicine, you know, uh, for many, many years, and I'm trained in mm-hmm. feng shui. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we find in feng shui is oftentimes people cannot figure out why they're not happy in a house. And mm-hmm. it, energetically, it's just like when we have – we can see it more with businesses. We think about that more if there's a restaurant that fails and then another restaurant comes in and that fails and then another restaurant mm-hmm. comes in. And you right. think, well, I wonder how long that was going to last. <laughs> but, you know, what people do not realize is that the homes have the energy grid from mm-hmm. the prior inhabitants, from whatever mm-hmm. happened in that house. And the sensitives, mm-hmm. they know it. They just feel mm-hmm. something. So a lot of times what I'm doing with feng shui as much as analyzing the space and helping people set intention is clearing out the old energy mm-hmm. and helping them, you know, recreate through intention and keeping the space clear what they mm-hmm. want, you know. And, and I'll never forget when I learned biobiology, which is, it's only it's designed in germany that they understand that the even the sensitivity of what we're using for our floor coverings and what we're using for our lighting and you know that was one of the things you know are you sensitive to lights are you sensitive mm-hmm. to smells to chemicals and so in this uh in this technique well it's not even a technique it's a course of study biobiology they use the electromagnetic frequencies they study um like they the walls they they do not um, encourage wallpaper on walls at all, because especially vinyl wallpaper, because then the walls cannot breathe. And they actually check the EMFTs within a home because they mm-hmm. have found that if there if the uh, electromagnetic field is too high, people have trouble sleeping, they mm-hmm. have trouble resting, their bodies are constantly, um, you know, with this energy grid going through them. And computers mm-hmm. do this, you know. And and so some of your questions, you know, if it, when you ask, is your child highly sensitive? Some of them. Are uh, do other mood, people's moods affect them? Mm-hmm. Do mm-hmm. Uh, do they get overwhelmed easily by bright lights, strong smells, coarse fabrics, or sirens close by? Mm-hmm. And you know you can see these startle responses in some babies. Some babies sleep through anything. Other babies are aware of everything. Mm-hmm. So these are these are wonderful. Okay, so once you once you realize that you uh, perhaps have a, a highly sensitive child, you mm-hmm. know, what do you recommend? 
I mean, I know you have lots of things, that, you know, your right. book and your workbook and you're actually teaching a workshop where we'll talk in a little bit. But, you know, if you – I had – just before we even go to this next part, I had several readers who were friends call me and say, oh, my goodness, I just read that that article in Spirit Seeker, and I know I'm a highly sensitive person. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. they're like, what do you th- do you think I should go take the workshop? I'm like, well, of course. It's like, you know, what, four and a half hours from St. Louis? I said, and how often is this workshop going to happen, you know? Go, go while she's here in the Midwest. So, but just... Just for neophytes that know that just are just are being drawn to this and your wisdom, mm-hmm. where does a parent start, and where does a person start when they kind of realize, well, you know what, I think I am one of these. Well, I think um, one side of it is that sensitive people fundamentally process everything more deeply. So, I mean, we're sensitive to stimuli, but but even more so, we're sensitive. Our preference is to observe before acting, to think about things, to reflect on things, and our, our, you know, it it comes. Even the immune system does that, and uh, the whole nervous system does that. Fruit flies. That there's those that are called sitters and those that are called rovers. So some of it's not conscious. It's the whole body is this way. But uh, sensitive children are are observing everything, and they're often seen as shy or reticent or something because they're they're watching. And to appreciate that and to be sure that everybody else around them understands that there's nothing wrong with them, um, that their preference is perhaps to be to be quiet, um, and and then to realize that they don't need this, they just don't need the same kind of Oh, say level of punishment or lecturing or instruction that other children need. They get things very quickly. I don't know that I would equate it the same as high intelligence, although I've spoken at conferences for gifted education, and and they swear that the three percent of people who are gifted are all highly sensitive. I can't say probably not all highly sensitive or gifted by their definition because it's a larger number of them, but. We're really dealing with a different kind of person and a different kind of child, and I think that's the most fundamental thing to get. And once you get that, everything else kind of follows. They uh, they are usually very compassionate. I mean, I've had parents tell me, you know, as soon as my child found out where meat came from, you know, she she couldn't eat meat, and they were right. going to go to a meat packing plant, and she couldn't go or or you know some child's being bullied at school and you know my boy just can't stand it and um they learn to adapt they learn to keep their mouths shut basically but they're still watching um and they yeah. are more affected by trauma unfortunately so then as adults uh, very often sensitive people have been you know damaged in some way if if we've had a good enough childhood, we're less prone to anxiety and depression than other people and physically healthier than other people. But if there has been trauma, we're more prone to depression and anxiety and all of those things. So that's why it's so important to raise these children well. And, of course, if we're an adult who's been through those things to, to get the help that we need with the appreciation that it might you might need more help or you might you know, somebody else might say, well, my child, it was just like yours, and it was fine. It didn't bother me, but it would have bothered the sensitive person more. So that's an important part of it is is being sure to do the healing you need. Well, and now more than ever, um, 
children are stimulated, you know, between their oh, iPhones, yeah. between, you know, and, and it's interesting. I've raised, <laughs> I raised four stepchildren and three children. And um, so my children, you know, biologically range from 26 down to 14. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, I went to, you know, I've gone to open house for seven of mm-hmm. these kids, right? Okay, so I go mm-hmm. to open house this year. And I'm one of the older parents, you know, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. late fifties. And mm-hmm. but you but there were very few parents that came to the open house this year and I was really shocked. Probably it was the least attended uh open house I've ever ever uh gone to. And yet the teachers are younger and snappier and the one biology teacher does not believe in anything paper, so everything's electronic. Well, there's a new advancement from Google, and I'll, you'll understand where I'm going in a moment. Mm-hmm. It goes; it's, mm-hmm. it's no longer Google Docs. There's another generation of Google something for teachers and students. So the teacher mm-hmm. is sitting at home in the evening, mm-hmm. can see every Every single student, when they're entering to do their homework, if they're on the Mm -hmm. right track or if they're going Mm -hmm. in a wrong direction, it's biology. And then Mm -hmm. he will actually email the student and say, you're on the wrong track. You might want to rethink going in this direction. Mm -hmm. And I just sat there overwhelmed by the whole thing. And then Mm -hmm. I, and, and I said to him, I said, that feels a little invasive to me. And he said, why? He said, why would you let a student struggle when all you have to do is just point them in the right direction and then they get it and then they're prepared for class? And I said, okay, I get it. I I get it. But I walked out of there thinking, this is a whole new deal. This is all Mm -hmm. new. And and they're doing a pilot program where, you know, they've never let the cell phones in the school. Now they're trying it in middle school and they're trying it in one high school because they know that the way these kids get their information is from their phones. Mm-hmm. And so they're they're spending all this energy trying to keep them off the phones, and now they're like, you know what? Let's just surrender. What does the teacher do? The teacher's checking their texts and messages and Facebook. So it's like, it's extraordinarily like they're coming from every angle with information. Mm-hmm. So so I think we have to understand how important it is for what you're describing with. How do we take an extremely sensitive child already and then they're bombarded from every direction with communications? How, what do we do with this? And your your questions, you know, about, you know, uh, when mm-hmm. people are uncomfortable in a physical environment, I tend to know what needs to be done to make it more comfortable, mm-hmm. like changing the lighting or the seating. Mm-hmm. These kids are sensitive. I think I think they just know intuitively some things, and they're not like, it's just changed so rapidly is what I'm getting to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that sensitive people can change with it. You know, I, I have a kind of a joke that I, I, you know, when bookstores were bookstores, and it's true on the Internet for me too, I have an uncanny ability to find what I need uh, rather quickly rather than having to plow through everything. And I think that sensitive people will have uh, a sensitivity to the Internet, that they don't have to spend as much time on it. They probably won't spend as much time on it to get what they need out of it. Um, they will adapt, and uh, I, I, it perhaps isn't ideal for them. One of the things that's absolutely true for sensitive people um, is, that the, is the importance of nature, of being out of doors for them. And that is something that that parents really need to emphasize with sensitive children. And I hope they figure that out. One of the things that's true is that people tend to understand their sensitivity more as they get older. 
They don't become more sensitive. Children are quite sensitive. Adolescents are the least sensitive. They go through a period where their sensitivity is not so obvious. By the time they get into their late 20s and 30s, they really realize that they're different from other people. It's difficult because, like you, they they often have to try several careers before they find the right one. Um, I think what parents need to do is to encourage them to take breaks, um, just to encourage them to take breaks away from everything. Um, they don't have to be online um, uh, as much as others. And children, sensitive children usually get it that they're different from other kids fairly early. And the important thing is that their difference be given a good label in their minds, and then they'd be encouraged to live their life differently than other kids. Well, and you know, um, one of the things that um, I think is uh, is one of the dangers right now of what's going on in the school systems is they're lumping a lot of kids with into ADD. They're just saying, oh, ADD. Yes. And, you know, would you like to address that? Because, I mean, this is, I think it's, I think they're the sensitives. I mean, not totally. I know in some cases there are, well, you, you know more about this than I do, but would you please address this? Because I think sure. we're stereotyping well, first, a lot of things of all, that are going on. Yeah. yeah. First of all, um, the parents of, of kids with ADHD were very effective in getting ADHD as something that I mean, obviously it affects learning. Um, it's a difficulty in the executive function of the brain. So um, they were able to get, okay, if your kid has ADHD, you get attention, special attention in the schools. Therefore, it became an advantage to, to label any child having difficulty in school as having ADHD because they would get extra help. So the difference is that sensitive children when put in a distraction-free environment, function better. Whereas if a child with ADHD actually functions worse in a completely quiet environment, they need a certain amount of stimulation around them, and that's why they need stimulants in order to keep their their brain revved up and, and doing its job. So it, in a way, it's the opposite. Now, I've had people tell me that they are highly sensitive and also have ADHD, very rarely, but I've had people say that to me. And I I don't know quite what to make of it except to say that every brain is really quite different. We we don't understand that much about the brain or genetics. Uh, there's certainly multiple genes that uh, govern sensitivity, and perhaps there are certain combinations that can make that possible. But uh, for the most part, I'd say that they tend to be the opposites. Um, but here's the deal, is that if you have a child in a classroom that's, over, that's highly stimulating, um, they're liable to be hyperactive because they're just, they're just being overwhelmed. I, mean, I think the boys tend to go in that direction. The girls tend to, there's another kind of ADD without the hyperactive part, and, and girls get labeled with that. Um, and, and a lot of them, I agree, are highly sensitive and don't have that. Um, and it's a very stimulating world, as you say, that people live in. And one person said, well, ADHD can be a little bit like you're driving really fast down a freeway and then you hit a traffic jam and you stop and your whole nervous system is kind of like buzzing and upset because you want to go and go and go and it's hard to switch down to okay now I'm just going to be at a standstill and that's kind of the way the brain is with all the stimulation is it is hard to 
cool down after all of that. Uh, it's hard for kids especially. Sometimes sensitive children will come home and have total tantrums because they're overstimulated, and that can happen in the school too, although usually sensitive kids come home to do that. <laughs> well, and, you know, it's interesting. Two of my three children would go to, like if you said, okay, we'll we'll talk about that tomorrow, or you know what, we'll do that tomorrow, even when they were just really small. If you said something about tomorrow, or mm-hmm. we'll do that when you wake up from your nap, I am not exaggerating this. The two that just, I mean, they just, I thought, how can this be? They would wake up. I don't care if it was six hours later, seven hours later, a mm-hmm. short nap, two hours later. They would wake up and immediately go to whatever it was that was discussed right before they went to sleep. <laughs> and I thought, yeah. how can this be? You know, and then my one son would never take naps. I mean, from the time he was little, he just, but I mm-hmm. would have him take quiet time. Mm-hmm. He was allowed to work with, you know, blocks, Lincoln Logs, read books. Mm-hmm. I, it really didn't matter, but he had to mm-hmm. have some quiet time. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's missing, you know, with a lot of kids today. They go, oh, yeah. And, that's and for one sure. of the things that, you know, on your questionnaire that I thought, oh, you know, these game systems that they're playing. Mm-hmm. You know, and one of the things that you said, uh, one of the questions on the sensitive list was something to do with um, video games and violence and, you know, um, mm-hmm. et cetera. So, I mean, and I think that, you know, I think that's a problem right now for a lot of kids. Well, it is. But, again, I think that sensitive children can can make their decisions if they just have a little bit of encouragement to be different. Um, their nervous systems will guide them away from that stuff. Um, and those that don't get it when they're young will get it a little bit later. So, uh, listeners, we are going to take uh, questions for uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Elaine Aaron tonight. And I, uh, before we do that, though, I want to announce uh, the information on the workshop that she will be teaching on Saturday, September 29th. Uh, in Wheaton, Illinois at the Loretto Center. And this is a retreat for highly sensitive people. And it's from 9 to 5 all day long. Um, And uh, Candy Crawford, who is a licensed clinical social worker and has worked with uh, Dr. Aaron for some time, is sponsoring uh, Dr. Aaron to the Midwest. And you can reach her at uh, 630-991-6200 or you can go to com forward slash retreat. And this is all also in the September issue of Spirit Seeker on page four. So um, so if you do have a question, all you have to do is press one, and um, my producer will let me know that you have a question, and we will bring you on to the air. Now, um, where I'd like to segue next is, uh, I had a lot of adults who read the article who said, I think that's me. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've talked a little bit about children. I would like to talk about adults who, who you know, and, and what I kept coming to with a lot of this was, you know, I have so many friends who are migraine people, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I was married yeah. to a migraine person. And I thought, you know, I wonder if a lot of the migraine people are just highly sensitive. I mean, did this? did you run across this in your research? Yes, um, I haven't studied that explicitly, but we know that migraines are triggered by different things in different people. The brain is the brain is being sensitive to something, and I, it seems as though most of the people that I have met, and I haven't studied this empirically, who have migraines are also highly sensitive. Not all, but most of them. 
And uh, so it's one kind of variation. Lots and lots of sensitive people do not have migraines. So um, right. it's an overlap there, but not a complete and perfect one. Mm-hmm. Well, and and one of the things... Um, you know that I that you come back to with a lot of the, the a lot of reading that I've done um, preparing for the interview is that these the highly sensitive people as you've mentioned are are people say well they're just shy or they're timid or they're inhibited or they're introverted, um, but you said thirty percent of highly sensitives are uh, are actually extroverts. That's right, and uh, of course I'm an introvert, but um, I, I I talk a lot to the extroverted HSPs who who uh, really want to have that be clear because we don't want to miss that 30%. Um, A lot of it has to do with kind of how you were raised, your sense of security. Um, Some of it has to do with another trait, which is high sensation seeking, which amazingly enough you can be highly sensitive and also a high sensation seeker, which means that you're easily bored but also you're very careful and and need lots of downtime. So people who have those two traits together, we sort of joke that it's like having one foot on the gas and one foot on the brakes. So you're eager to meet new people, but you also need downtime to, and you want deep conversations with those new people. Um, and you often tend to speak your private thoughts a bit more, which sometimes is a revelation to people and sometimes just causes you problems. So it's a... It's a kind of a different. In some ways, you might think it's almost ideal uh, to have that to be an extroverted, sensitive person. Certainly, um, often makes such people's leaders um, in social situations. Well, and it's interesting the Myers Briggs. You know, when you mm-hmm. look at Myers Briggs, you know, extrovert, introvert, um, intuitive, feeling, perceptive, mm-hmm. sensing. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't. I I forget. I, but but the whole thing is is this when you know I'm an ENFJ which mm-hmm. only ten percent of the population are ENFJs right. so I'm an extrovert intuitive feeling right. and right. Um, and I'm able to make decisions but what's mm-hmm. interesting is exactly what you just described people think of me as an extrovert but if right. I it, and and I am able to interface with a lot of things but if I did not have my downtime. Right. And my quiet exactly. I would never be able to do that. Yeah. So so right. so there's this whole introverted side that most people right. do not see, the per- part that gardens right. exactly. and puts my hand in the dirt and doesn't wear gloves, the part that <laughs> you know, because I need to get grounded in the part that reads and the part that mm-hmm. cooks and the part that mm-hmm. you know, I just can't be around people all the time. And it's mm-hmm. And well, I know when I hit my yeah. Extroverts are the perfect interviewers. In fact, when I'm interviewed by anybody who's halfway decent as an interview, I say I always say I know you're highly sensitive and you're probably also a high sensation seeker and extroverted because it's a perfect combination. Um, you need that empathy and that intuition. As far as the Myers Briggs go, I don't think I've ever met a sensitive person was was not either an I or an N, and and often both I N. But if they're sensate types, then they're always introverted. The N is is pretty much of a clue. Thinking and feeling is about balanced. And I should say that there are just as many men as women born with this trait. Um, but it, they have a much harder time. They hide themselves a lot more. They score lower on the self-test, but we know you're out there. <laughs> they live a very different right. um, a struggle, a real right. struggle. Right. Well, it's funny, the Myers-Briggs, you know, when I first encountered it, 
um, I was working on my MBA, and mm-hmm. um, this was before I totally took a career path in a different direction. And um, but but my my instructor was it was this, it was sales management, and mm-hmm. he said as a sales manager you would never have actually this was my second time I encountered it, um, but but uh, he was saying that as a sales manager you would never have a sales team without knowing their Myers Briggs because you need to know you know who's able to make decisions, who's more of an extrovert, who's more of an introvert, who'd better who would be better on the phone rather than going mm-hmm. out in person, you know, mm-hmm. who would be better mm-hmm. get, being given leaves rather than having to do cold calling and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and on. But the first time I encountered the Myers-Briggs, it was very interesting. This was a long time ago. I was a member of the Junior League and mm-hmm. the Junior League would take all of their initiates, you know, their little, mm-hmm. I forget mm-hmm. there was a name for us, but um, they would analyze if you were an extrovert or an introvert, and they would never, uh, provisionals, they would never put all the introverts together because, you know, who's going to get it done? So they would, <laughs> with their team-building community, I mean, this was, like, very thought out. So so their community-building mm-hmm. skills had to do with we can't, we have to have a variety of people so that the skills all blend and we can mm-hmm. get the maximum efficiency mm-hmm. from our volunteers. and. Mm-hmm. And you know, to, you know, that was my first time. And then the second time, of course, you know, working on my MBA, and I was like, "This is fascinating." So, on some level, you know, there's like like people dance around it. But I think with your work, this is really, you know, like other than are you an empath? You know, there's a lot of people out mm-hmm. there with that, but they still don't address all the things you're addressing. You you really are very comprehensive in this work that you're doing. So, um, so what? So so I know you have the book, and then what does the workbook? Um, uh, because I, I know that we mentioned that in Spirit Seeker. So mm-hmm. tell me what the workbook does, if you would. Well, it's it's pretty novel. It, it takes each chapter in my book and then has people go go deeply into those issues. It's it's a kind of a difficult workbook, um, pretty intense for people. The last third of it is actually how to run a group for highly sensitive people. Because many people have wanted support groups, and I have a lot of experience with running groups, and um, so I kind of wanted to lay out uh, how they might do that. I should also say that I've written a book called The Highly Sensitive Person in Love about uh, close relationships and sensitive people, and our, The Highly Sensitive Child, and then I'm writing a book right now for highly sensitive parents, um, which I had a number of um clients in my practice and other people who are parents say to me as highly sensitive people you really need to address this because parenting is very very different if you're highly sensitive and i am certainly seeing that um so that's that's my project at the moment well, so, and, and and when I read your excerpt, um, and the website, uh, listeners, is hsperson.com, when I was reading about the highly sensitive person in love, I thought, oh, my goodness, my first marriage, that's all I ever heard was, you're too sensitive. You're too yes. sensitive. You're too, and then what, I laughed when I read that you're married to a non-HSP, and oh, there's yeah. been a few little choppy storms. <laughs> oh, plenty of them. And, in fact, finding out about um, our our difference in temperament was an enormous, enormous help for our relationship. And very sweet, too, because when I wrote Chapter 7 in that book on relationships, I, as I always do, I, sh- I show my work to my husband, and he reads it over and gives me his opinion. And he, and he said, 
you don't get this because what I had written was how much the highly sensitive person benefits from being with a non-sensitive person who can do this for you and that for you, you know, oh. deal with all these overstimulants. He said, you don't realize how much I get from you. And and this was really something I I hadn't gotten. Of course, since then I see it very obviously everywhere. Well, but uh, yeah, but, but but talk about that just a little, if you would, and and um, if you, if you would, and I want you to also talk about the divorce gene. <laughs> yes, I will talk about the divorce gene. Forty-two percent of your odds of getting divorced are are genetically determined. We call it heritability. Now, before you go looking for the divorce gene, realize that wearing skirts is also highly heritable, um, and wearing earrings and um, uh, driving race cars. But obviously, there's no race car gene. It's just that there's certain things that go with genetic propensities, and I think that that is so high because people don't realize the role of temperament. So, so very often you have people who are mismatched and their personalities are what are causing the problem and i and i liken it to i don't always forget the term fetal something you would know as an as a person trained in nursing that genetic problem that babies if they're not tested for it it can oh, cause PKU. Reti- PKU. Yeah, PKU. Yes. it can cause retardation but if you know about it you immediately handle it it's right. the same thing with temperament. If you know about temperament differences between you and your partner, you can almost always handle it. It's like the Myers-Briggs in the sense that it's a kind of a no-blame thing. Okay, I'm this way, you're that way, so now let's work with it. The problem with sensitivity is that, um, well, there's <laughs> lots of issues between sensitive and non-sensitive people, but um, because it's a minority there's a tendency for the sensitive person to be seen as the sort of the identified patient or the problem in the family. Why can't you do this and why can't you do that? You're too sensitive. Um, and it's a it's a package deal. A lot of the things that a partner likes most about you are also the flip side of the things that you that are problematic for you and the same for the non-sensitive person. So once you get it that these are temperaments that can't be changed then you get creative and start to figure out how to live with it. But there's a grieving process because, especially, I always tell people, the closer the person is to you, the less likely they're going to be thrilled to find out you're highly sensitive because it 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 suggests that, well, we're not so similar as we thought. Sometimes there's all of a sudden a shift in power where, you know, I'm just not going to go to those football games anymore because I don't enjoy them. <laughs> Right, right, and where there's a, 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 a whole new level of truth. <laughs> a whole new level of truth. And sometimes it's hard to hear, but on the other hand, uh, you know, we can't use it as a bludgeon and say, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. It's very often we can survive things that are maybe a little overstimulating for us. But um, once you begin to realize the all the pluses in your partners, you know, my, my husband's... Um, uh, well, he'll ask me, like, okay, I'm going to be meeting with so-and-so today. Is there anything that I should avoid saying? <laughs> Is there anything you think I should do? And I will give him suggestions, often without ever having been in the situation, except just having heard a few words about He'll come home and he says, that was just the perfect thing to do. I did such and such, like you said, and it worked perfectly. 
um, he'll be walking. He loves wildflowers, and then he'll say, I've never seen that wildflower before. That's beautiful. And I'll say, it's wonderful, the freshness of appreciation, because you saw that flower <laughs> 50 <Wow>. feet back. <laughs> wow. You know, he doesn't notice things as much, but then he appreciates so much that I do, and I point things out to him. Right. And right. he can tolerate a lot more stimulation than I can, and that has great advantages for us. And um, so, well, you know, there's and, just... Yeah. And you know that saying, be in the world but not of it. I mean, and I think that I think that as an HSP, you just, you find ways. You know, meditation, you know, anything to find that stillness. I mean, I can meditate in the middle of a highway, you know, at this right. point, you know. And, right. But it's taken a lot of practice over the years. But if I, but I remember, you know, when, when my children were younger and, Oh, we had just moved. You know, if you if you took a stress test, going through a divorce, moving, right. all this, I would have been off the charts. And uh, this one particular day, I had not meditated. And I remember my daughter, who was like six at the time, said, I think you need to go meditate. I mean, they knew the difference with their mother <laughs> meditating or not. You know, I mean, because right. it was just... Um, oh, yeah. Well, I started meditating when my son oh. was... About a year old, and every night we would have these meltdowns. You know the hour, the dinner hour? Right, right. Well, oh, I know. When you, you, everything goes crazy. And then when I learned to meditate, I'd come out of my meditation, and everything was just peaceful. It was just so different. My my child reacted to it that way. It's the first thing I advise um, people is to do some form of meditation for sensitive people because it's the quickest way to get back to to quiet to grounding and of course i say you know even if you're sitting in a a crowded airplane and the tarmac and it's 90 (laughs) degrees if you can go i I say there's a range from zero to ten if you can go from ten to eight um that's as significant as at home if you go from two to zero because this is a huge improvement in what's going on it just feels totally different but you can meditate anywhere with anything going on i I went in a subway, was stopped in New York City in in the dark, and like everybody was getting sort of panicky. I was standing in this crowded subway. I closed my eyes and started to meditate, and I could feel everybody around me settling down. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, they've done studies, you know, years ago on the White House lawn when the Transcendental Meditators came and they all meditated. I forget how long it was. They did a, it it had a ripple effect. Crime dropped. They measured it up to 200 miles out, but they, you know, within 50 miles, it significantly plunged. I did some of that research. (laughs) Yes, it was fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did it in Atlanta and we would move meditators from a high crime area to a low crime area, um, we'd have two weeks in one area, then two weeks in the other area, and we'd follow the crime rates in the different precincts. And it was just like turning the gas on and off. Right. It was amazing. Right. Um, so Absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, I and, and there and there is, and you know, and this is why you know a lot of you know my clients and students will say, "Well, I can't meditate. My mind won't stop." I'm like, "You can't afford to not meditate." There will come right. a time when you will realize that that stillness will just you, you, the, those thoughts will go. But you know, mm-hmm. and some some meditations even now are noisier. But still, it doesn't matter what you just described. If you're at a two, it takes you to zero. If you're out mm-hmm. in an airport, or I remember one time I was Christmas shopping after 
um, having attended my son's college graduation. It was extremely stressful with, I don't know, for some mm-hmm. reason it just was. There was like, you know, it was a divorce situation and I don't know, everything was complicated. I think it was, it would think it was because it was our first child graduating mm-hmm. and uh, my former husband and I are not exactly um, chummy. And so, I mean, we, we do the best we can and it has mm-hmm. been a long time, but he is a migraine person and, um, he's the one who always told me I'm too sensitive, right? So after I made it through all that, and I said, okay, on the way home, we're stopping at this outlet mall and going shopping. Well, I had it, right? Okay, so we're at the, at the gap. And I told both of my children, I said, I mean, this is just, I remember this moment. I said, this is your budget. I am going, there's a chair back by the dressing rooms. Do not bother me until you're ready to go to the to the checkout counter unless you need my opinion on something. You'll see me there with my eyes closed, but I'm meditating. And they both just looked at me like I was this crazy person. But here I was in the middle of the shopping, and it didn't matter. I needed that for me because right. I had been like – We'd been to this ceremony and that ceremony mm-hmm. and this dinner and that, and it was like it was the only thing I knew, mm-hmm. you know, to just stop it all and come back mm-hmm. and and be back to being mom and me, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just mm-hmm. off the charts, and um, I don't know. But at any rate, you're just and, and then we can't leave the sex and spirit out. You have a, a chapter in your book right. addressing, okay, so HSPs and sexuality and and um, spirituality. Would you address this, please? <laughs> yeah, quickly. Nobody had ever looked at temperament and sexuality, so I decided to do a survey where I had um, people mail in a questionnaire and also give the same questionnaire to someone else they knew who mailed that in anonymously. And and so I was able to get a kind of a control group, a comparison group um, between sensitive and non-sensitive people because they were asked to give it to a non-sensitive friend or someone they thought was n- not highly sensitive. It was it was nice to see that there were no more sexual hang-ups in the two groups, no more um, problems. Uh, sensitive people tend to have had fewer traumatic sexual experiences, duh, because we're more careful, we think, before we do things. You know? um, but um, don't need as much stimulation, don't, you know, don't need as much novelty, can um, find that they get so overstimulated that they need to stop at times, harder to transition in and out of sexuality because um, they also find it more of a deep and mysterious experience. And so, you know, you don't need to do it in the airplane lavatory if it's already uh, deep and mysterious for you. So that kind of segues, I suppose, towards the spirituality because... Uh, you know, you can come at the spirituality, I think, from two sides. Maybe one is uh, uh, the the more positive side of the, just the perceiving deeply into everything you see and perhaps seeing through that into what lies beyond it and sensing uh, something beautiful there, something to be grateful for, just something mysterious um and wonderful but i also think that sensitive people uh when they see all the bad things in the world they have to make meaning out of it they have to they have to work on it and chew on it uh, they can't just say oh you know everything is wonderful and ignore things we don't do denial well it's there we can't ignore it so uh we have to work on it and it's often nonsense to people i i 
kind of call us the priestly advisors versus the warrior kings because it's often when the warrior king, the nonsense to people um, are in a crisis, like they're dying or something like that, they'll turn to sensitive people who can, um, who've already thought through these things and already have a position. Interesting thing, I, one question not on the questionnaire uh, was, would you be willing to sit at the bedside of a dying person and comfort them? And sensitive people were far more likely to say yes to that, and that goes back to your nursing experience oh, of yes. getting emotionally involved with people. It's like this is something that we can do, maybe not relish, but can do um, that most people just kind of run from because they haven't ever faced it. But we face it, we've thought about it, and so... Right. I was a nurse for one week, and my first patient died. You know, and and yeah. and my first my first clinical uh, part of why my nurse nursing instructor kind of flipped out. I know is I had this thirty year old woman who had leukemia who was mm-hmm. a nurse herself. Mm-hmm. And she so knows I'm a, really identified. Oh, and she had three yeah. children. She had twins and another one who was like you know two years old. Mm-hmm. And when I walked in, she said, "What are my counts?" And, you know, when I was a student nurse, you're not supposed to give, the, back at that time, it was in the early mm-hmm. 70s, you're not supposed to give them their results. That's, you know, God Almighty, the doctors, you know. And you right. didn't dare, right. like, you know, go in and give lab results, you know, and, like, you know. Right. You know and, and and I said, you know, I can't answer that. <laughs> just, but I'll never forget. I was there, you know, I mean, on on a Friday, I'd had her as my patient for three days, and when I went on on Monday, she'd blood out. And I mm-hmm. knew. See, I just... I mean, I just intuitively knew. Back then, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't know. I mean, I did did not know that I was psychic. I knew that right. from the time I was a little girl, you know, you talk about one of the questions on the children, highly sensitive people, do they mm-hmm. have a deep, rich interior life? Well, mm-hmm. I, I talked. You know, I, I I read all the time. I read about all the saints. You know, mm-hmm. I was always drawn to you know re, you know spirituality and understanding this connection. Mm-hmm. And and I used mm-hmm. to dream so vividly. I would wake up and then. I would think, oh, I don't want this dream. I'm, I'm, I would it literally say, it was a child. I'm changing the channel, and then I go back to sleep. And if I dream mm-hmm. that same same dream again, and it would jolt <laughs> me awake, and I'd say, no, I already said I want to change the channel. And I knew if it happened three times, there was just nothing I could do about it. It was just going to happen. Right. Well, I didn't know that was clairvoyance. How did I know? I mean, I didn't mm-hmm. understand it, but I knew that I just knew things. And my mother would say, you're like little miniature Ann Landers. She said, people just come to you for advice. Right. And I, right. and, and, and how did I know? So then when I started training psychics, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I call them intuitive, you know, intuitive. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget this one student that I had last year who is just this creative, artistic, amazing person. And she said, when I was 14, I worked at a, I don't know, TJ Maxx or Marshalls or something. And she said, I worked in the dressing room. And she said, and people would say, should I have this surgery that I'm scheduled for? Or should I do this? She said, I went home to my mom. I'm like, Mom, what in the world? These people are asking me what to do about their life. She says, I am 14 years old. And her her mom luckily understood and mm-hmm. had had the same experience through life. And, you know, they were mm-hmm. they were from some different kind of religion that it like is from a different um cultural it, it's not mm-hmm. christianity I, I don't know i don't even know she's but her grandfather was a high priest in whatever this church this is and they all have these psychic gifts all the way through the lineage mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and her mother you know thank goodness she has her mother because her mother says it's always going to be this way she says mm-hmm. and they come to you because they trust you mm-hmm. and you just have to know that you can turn it off if it gets to be too much mm-hmm 
So mm-hmm. her mother actually taught her how mm-hmm. to like shield and you know do mm-hmm. the inner you know. But for the most part, she surrendered, and and people just come to her advice mm-hmm. for advice, which is how it was for me. And I I didn't understand it, you know. And I kept bringing this teacher to town, and I studied meditation, and I studied you know past life regression, and you know all of this, and and you know. And then one day we were blindfolded and we were giving mm-hmm. readings and I read for my teacher, you know, mm-hmm. and I didn't know I was reading for my teacher. And um, and she said, she said, don't you get it? You're one of the most, she said, by far, you are the most gifted student I've ever trained. And she said, every, and that people used to call Spirit Seeker for readings and I'd say, no, I don't do that work, you know, because I was like an MBA girl, and, you know, and, and you mm-hmm. know, a nurse and a scientist, <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't understand this this mm-hmm. gift, and I don't know. And she said, every time you say no, you're saying no to God. So then, you know, I don't know. I just started. I started saying yes, and you know, now I do life coaching. But you know, mm-hmm. I get to use my intuition. I get to use the feng shui and mm-hmm. all of it. And you know, when I talked to Candy Crawford, I have to tell you, I just thought, oh my goodness, what an amazing soul and you know and and she said how much you've helped her and helped her understand her gifts and mm-hmm. i think i think you're just helping so many people elaine in ways that you know it, it's hard to explain and yet you know the work you're doing and here you are with this fabulous husband who's doing it with mm-hmm. you and yeah i mean, I, I, I joke that i i was walking down the street in this parade form behind me I, as an introvert i i never planned to uh to have, I mean, I would like to help people, but I never plan to have. I mean, it's it's sort of shocking when I think about the effect that it's had. I don't do very much public speaking. Um, I'll speak at Kripalu and um, sometimes and and Esalen now and then. But actually, this is the first time I've been. It might be the first time I've ever done anything in the Midwest. I, I only speak once or twice a year, so. Um, I wanted to do this for Candy because I wanted to kind of get her started um, in the Midwest because there hasn't been, you know, it's mostly been East Coast, West Coast. And uh, and she's a very dear person and very gifted. Oh. Um, you know, it's tricky for sensitive people to, to do these kinds of seminars. Um, uh, and we call it a retreat, but I don't know. It could be quite a few people come. We're a little worried about that. I think we're going to we're thinking about if too many people come that the morning talk will be for as many people as come but then that will limit they'll have to leave and so cuz we want to keep it a smallish group for um to have the retreat work. the right. retreat part so if anybody really wants to come they should probably sign up um soon cuz I don't know <laughs> I haven't talked to her in a few days but she was getting she was getting worried about how we can how can we call this a retreat <laughs> Oh don't don't worry about that because yeah, it's a retreat from the world and there and anytime you have you know highly sensitive together all of a sudden Oh absolutely be, yeah, it's so be crazy. confirmed yeah. and think oh my gosh you know it's not just you know me the I thought it was just The best thing me. is being in a group of people right. of just highly sensitive people because it's like being in church it's it's right. it's so quiet and it's so deep and it really changes your understanding of yourself a great deal. So I always urge even the most introverted, sensitive people to go to one gathering or retreat. Jacqueline uh, Strickland, who's 
connected to my website does HSP gatherings uh, about twice a year, and we even do them in Europe. And I either attend or do those by telephone. But um, they're worth doing at least once, just because of the value of meeting other sensitive people. And you just kind of, oh my goodness, I had no idea. You know, you're just like me. So. <laughs> Right, right. Well, and, you know, I want to mention, um, listeners, that there is an article on Kripala Yoga, More Than Just a Stretch, uh, in this issue of Spirit Seeker. And it doesn't surprise me that that's one of the uh, venues that you would choose to bring your knowledge place. to. Yes, yeah, because, it's a great place. <laughs> yeah, and what they say, you know, just a little excerpt from this article, says the confidence gained through Kripala Yoga overflows into your life, encouraging you to embrace every experience. Mm-hmm. And to let the flow, let life flow without resistance, and mm-hmm. um, the intimate and nurturing relationship you establish with your own body makes every sensation sacred, which is what you're talking about with mm-hmm. HSPs and sexuality mm-hmm. and sensitivity and spirituality, mm-hmm. and you know, and how in love, like you know, you and your husband have have made it work because you honor each other's differences, and absolutely, yeah, you know, and so often, you know, people. You know, as I was describing in my first marriage, you're too sensitive, you know, and, and I mm-hmm. then became this stoic kind of person and didn't cry for a long time. And then, no, you know, I, no. I remember, well, because, you know, I was, mm-hmm. and, and it just was easier to become rather than go through yes, what I would have to Yes, we can adapt like chameleons, but by oh, nature yeah. we cry easily. Oh, yeah. Yes, the, the empathy and the empathic skills and all of that are, um, have to go underground in some situations. That's, I, I like, you know, as a clinical psychologist, it's it's sad to see that happen, but I like to see sensitive people flower. Often the only place where they see their creativity is in their dreams. You know, there's a, when I was first learning to be a clinical psychologist, I worked with dreams, and I'd go to my consultant, and I'd say, oh, here's a dream, this person. A person who was not highly sensitive would say, nobody could have a dream like that. They made that up. And I said, oh, no, this is common with sensitive people. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and you know, I mean, and you studied with Carl Jung, so you know. I mean, oh, yes. I mean, you know. Yes. I mean, the symbolism and everything else. Yes. and. You know, I, and, and you know, it's just, you know, at the children, you know, we, we talked about, well, we haven't talked about this in this in this conversation, but I don't know if you've heard, you know, we went from, you know, the the different color auras, you know, blues, greens, yes. purples, mm-hmm. and then new age mm-hmm. purple, and then we went into the indigos. And then the indigos mm-hmm. were when you started seeing these highly sensitives more with children, and then there were six mm-hmm. different kinds of indigos. Well, now we're into what they call the crystal children, who are the psychic children, and mm-hmm. You know, and I think that it's 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 not that they're more psychic; they're just more sensitive, which is exactly what you are addressing. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I just think you just do a brilliant job. Uh, well, thank you know, and you. I have not thank read you your so book. I, I would I would like to read your book, and but you know, just preparing, you know, with everything mm-hmm. I could find online. I just thought, oh, you're you just you just you know you understand. So I I want to mention again, we're almost at the end of our time uh, for mm-hmm. the interview. This interview, this is why I love Blog Talk Radio. I was in a traditional studio for many years, and what I can tell you is, Blog Talk is the way of present time for radio interviews because the minute this show is finished, it will be archived. You just have to go to Spirit Seeker hit. You know, click on the radio icon. It takes you directly to all the different uh, interviews. And we have just had the interviews by date, but my producer is now going to put Dr. Uh, Elaine Aaron, HSP. So you'll be able to see and click directly on this. Um, You can send your friends to that link. And we... um, 
it's just nice because we have uh, so many people know that if they miss the show live, they can listen to it later. And Mm -hmm. um, it's just helping us reach out to so many more people. And I I do Mm want to mention that you can help us with the show in a couple of ways. Number one, there's a favorite the show um, button somewhere on Blog Talk. And what that does is the more Blog Talk knows that, hey, people are listening to Cindy Meyer's Spirit Seeker radio show every week. What it does is it, it brings us up to the front of the page. There's like, I forget how many interviewers on this particular platform, and we're underneath the category of spirituality. Um, and so it just helps us reach more people. And I cannot tell you how many people come up to me at different events, and they're like, you know, this is my spiritual food and my nourishment. I've learned so much. I listened to your interview, blah, blah, you know, by so-and-so. Excuse me. And um, And you can do it from your iPod. You know, we um, we just encourage you to let other people know about the interview. If you send us an email to info at spiritseeker.com, we send out a weekly reminder about the radio show. We also um, we also uh, send out a a link whenever the new magazine's online. And we and because we have learned that the twenty and thirty year olds do not read print magazines anymore. You know, I, I, that's why we have Nooks and we have Kindles, etc. They know that uh, it. It destroys the environment with the trees. So the 20 and 30-year-olds read everything online. And I'll walk into a place before the print magazine sometimes is even in the communities. There it is. It's online. And people say, I already read that article. And we also get um, stat reports. And we know that you're listening. And we know you're listening, you know, a lot of times after the hours. They don't tell me what hour you're listening, like the Google Docs thing with the teachers, you know, being able to see each of their kids' computers. But we know that you're listening. We just really want to thank thank you for listening. And I want to thank Dr. Uh, Aaron for you know, being part of the show, I mean, I really look forward to this interview, so I just really want to thank you so much for the work you're doing. I want to thank Candy Crawford for bringing you to Wheaton, Illinois, which is, um, for those of you, it, it's near the, it's in the Chicago, greater uh, Chicago area. It's not far at all. And um, and it is an all-day uh, workshop on Saturday, September 29th, which is next Saturday, from 9 to 5. And once again, you can call Candy Crawford at 630-991-6200. Uh, and she has information at her website. There's a direct link to register at candycrawfordlcsw.com forward slash retreat. You can go to Dr. Elaine Aaron's website to order any of the books or the workbook and find out uh, how to do the self-test, et cetera, and that is www.hsperson.com. I also want to mention that um, Spirit Seeker will be at the Harmony Festival uh, I will not be there, but the magazines will be there at the Harmony Festival next weekend. We are expanding into Arkansas, as I mentioned. We, are, we will be at a number of different events happening throughout the whole Midwest. And I just really want to thank thank our listeners, thank our readers, and Dr. Aaron, thank you so thank much. Thank you, Cindy. Thank oh, you. It was a wonderful fabulous. interview. Thanks, <laughs> okay. thanks a thank lot. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, good night, everyone.